0: This is Pastor Devin, and I just want to say thanks for joining us, and I hope and pray that this message is an encouragement to your life today. It's a new year, uh, and anytime I get to the top of the year, it's always a wonderful time to, to reflect a little bit. Um, I have a scripture for us here to, to kick off the morning. Ezekiel chapter 44, verse 5 says this, uh, The Lord said to me, Son of man, mark well. See with your eyes and hear with your ears all that I say to you concerning all the statutes of the house of the Lord and concerning all of its laws. And mark well the entrance of the house with all of its exits of the sanctuary. Here's, here's the principle that I want you to, to catch as we get to the top of, uh, of the year. How you exit directly influences how you enter the next season. How you exit, directly influences. What what does it mean to mark well? It means being careful how you enter and how you exit. If you you leave something incorrectly, you can't expect God to give you something better to replace it. How how many um, have been in a miserable job, and maybe you've just been sitting at the the desk, or you've just been doing whatever the task is, and you just decided, I am out of here, and you just... Walked out, didn't call anybody, didn't tell anybody you were coming back, you just left. Ever done that before? How many of you know that's probably not the, the right way to exit? Right? How you leave, friend, this is a, a biblical principle because the Bible says you go from glory to glory. And the steps of a righteous man are, or, this is a principle of God's kingdom, they're ordered. Then it goes on to say that those ordered steps, they become brighter and brighter, as bright as the noonday sun. The steps of a righteous man. Righteous steps are are ordered. God can bring you from glory to glory. He can take you into 2015 and it will be a fantastic year. But don't exit 2014 incorrectly if you don't process well, if you don't handle it well, if you don't mark well these transitions in your life, God God doesn't promote injustice. He doesn't bless disobedience. We have to be careful to mark well. And I really believe that if we will exit 2014 well, it's already a few days old, by the way, 2015 will be set up to be a year where you experience your steps being ordered. Ordered. Part of exiting well uh, just involves pausing for just a moment and reflecting on God's goodness. We had the opportunity uh, this past Wednesday night. We, uh, Dad and I got to just serve individuals and families and couples uh, that just wanted to take a moment before they went rushing into 2015 to sit down and have communion and just reflect upon God's goodness. How many, uh, how many of you will set... Uh, a goal, goal, or they they call them resolutions, how many of you will do that this year? You'll you'll say, this is something that I want to do, this is something that I've never done, that I want to try, this is something that I want to get right. Um, I've always said that um, Christians uh, are experts in the book of Genesis, because at the beginning of the year we get convicted and we say we're going to read through the Bible, and then about February and Valentine's Day we get stuck in Levitical law and genealogies, and then we quit, and then... January comes around again. We start back in Genesis. We all know Genesis really, really well. About this time of the year, people are trying in in some way to define or set a destination for their lives. What is this this year going to look like? It it could be um, health-related. It could be financially related. It could be family, relational. And most of the time when I ask someone, uh, define what you would like that to to look like. What what would you like to see? Most of the time, they can tell you, this is what I would like to see. They can tell you what the win is. Uh, But few people typically can tell me how to get from where they are to there. They see in their mind what there looks like, but getting there is a challenge. here's, Here's the thesis for this morning. Everyone ends up somewhere. Everyone, all of us, will end up somewhere. Few people will end up somewhere on purpose. All of us will end up somewhere at the end of this year. A few of us will end up somewhere on purpose. Maybe we could just say that together this morning. Everyone ends up somewhere, but few people will end up somewhere on on purpose. And as we start this new year, Every one of you, every one of you are headed towards ending up somewhere. A few of you who passionately seek God and listen will get there on purpose. Getting from here to there. What I'd like to talk this morning about is the there. What is that? What is it that God wants you to, to do? What is it that God wants you to pursue? What is it that he wants you to see? That, that propels you forward into 2015, because everyone ends up somewhere. A lot of this uh, this year, if we, if we don't seek God, we'll end up doing some foolish things, and we'll end up somewhere that we don't want to be. I have a friend, uh, he pastors a wonderful, incredible church in Dallas, south side of Dallas. He assumed the church from his father. Uh, he was the youth pastor at one point, and then he became the associate pastor, and then uh, through a rite of passage, he became the senior pastor of the church. He'd been there for years, been there his whole life, and so everyone had kind of watched him grow up in the church, and he walked into his first staff meeting, and there were people sitting around that table on the staff that had served for his dad and with his dad that had watched him grow up as the youth and now he's running the staff meeting, He's the boss now. And he walked into this first staff meeting and he said, how large of a church do you think that we have the ability to lead? And one of the cool hipsters spoke up and they said, well, the church down the road is running about 1,500. We are way cooler than them. We could be running 2,500 tomorrow. And so many other people had incredible reasons why they should be larger and better. And he actually stopped them and he just said, I I actually know the number we have the ability to lead a church of 600. He said, three times we have reached 900, we've reached 1,100, we've reached 800. Three times we've gone to those marks, and all three times we come back to what number? 600, why? Because that's that's the capacity that we have as leaders. That's what we're able to manage. And he said, so next year, you won't be here. It will either be a better version of you Or you won't be here at all. Now, that's a pretty rough first staff meeting, right? Listen, how many of you want to say next year? I I don't want to be here. I want it to be a better version of me. Because you'll end up somewhere. Some of us will end up somewhere on purpose. How many this year would like to say, "I, I want to be closer to God than I've ever been. How many would say, I want to be as close. How many would say, I want my marriage, my, my family to be God-honoring and that it, it makes God proud of my, I want to do that this year. I want that to be my prayer. How many this year would say, I, I want to get completely out of debt. I want to do, I want to, no more payments. I'm talking about like no house, nothing. Wouldn't that be great? So that you could be an incredible blessing to the, to the kingdom how many would say, you, you want to get physically fit this year? Yeah, Fewer hands on that. I want to get physically fit. Just in case I get invited to a swim party, I can go. I can go. Be proud. <laughs> Let me pro- I promise you, none of that will happen without intentionality. Without discipline, without diligence, it won't happen unless you do it on purpose. Key scripture for us this morning. Very familiar passage, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, says this. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, they float along. The Hebrew word... um, that that's derived from, the word that we get vision from, is a Hebrew word called kazon. Not calzone, not Italian food. Kazon. And that means a dream or a revelation or a vision. How many would like to have revelation for your life this year? Without vision, people... Perish where there is no vision for a relationship with God, people become incredibly lukewarm and complacent and mediocre. Where there's no vision, the status quo is acceptable. Where there is no vision for family life and for marriages, 50% of them are ending up in divorce anyway. Where there is no vision for your finances, we can live in the wealthiest nation on planet earth and be hawked up to debt to our eyebrows. Because there's no vision. Or there's no vision for our physical bodies. The vision you see when you look in the mirror is not the vision you had because there's no vision. We overeat, we overwork, and we're stressed. My hope, my prayer for you today throughout this year is that God would help you to have a vision. Maybe today, Maybe today we can just see a little more clearly the there for your life. What is it that God desires for us? So that we can honor him, so that our lives bring him honor. Without vision, though, people perish. They just limp along because everyone's going to end up somewhere. Few of us. We'll end up somewhere. Let's just try this. Let's just try this little exercise. Let's do this exercise here. Here's what I'd like you to do. Take out a little. If you have got a pen, there's a pen in the back of the seat there. Just do this little exercise here. Here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to simply rate last week on a scale of one to ten. I, I want you to one being the absolute worst week in the history of your life, and ten being the most amazing experience of your life. Okay, one, 1 to 10. And I just want you to write down one to ten. Your last week. Two, five, eight. Some of you may write a negative number if you're an Alabama fan. Yeah? <laughs> all you SEC fans in the house? They've been very quiet, by the way, I'll say over the last week. With the West going completely defeated in all of their bowls, the West Side of the SEC. Amazing. Anyways, what your week, sorry. I digress. You're weak. Write your number. And then I want you to circle that number. Circle it. Look at it. And then ask yourself this. Why did I circle what I circled? Why did I circle? Did you give it an eight because you were able to have more family time? Or did you give it a two because you were able to have more family time? (laughs) And you had to interact with that one weird, we all have, I'm telling you, every family, this is a biblical principle somewhere, every family has a weirdo. And when you say every family, how many would, how many would say you don't have a, a weirdo in your family? Anybody say they don't have a psycho person that they just dread interacting with? Anybody that says that there's not a psycho in their family, they are, they're the psycho. <laughs> they are the weird one. <laughs> yeah. Why did you rate what you did last week? The challenge is this. Most of us want to have a good week. But few of us can define what success is and what's going to make it a good week. Forget your perspective. What does a a successful week look like in the eyes of God? Forget what you think. Uh, What is the there? What is the kazoo? What's the vision? Because where there is no vision... This morning, I just want to cover two very simple assignments. It's not a complicated message. Uh, But I believe these assignments will bring some knowledge to us. That God can use us to, to, to shape us. Not just for this year, but for the rest of our lives. First assignment is this. With the help of the Spirit of God, number one, define your values. Define your values. What are the spiritual values that God has placed in you. I love, the, I love the way that Paul said it here in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul says this. Our responsibility. Some of us are more concerned about our rights than our responsibilities. Your responsibility. I have the right. You're responsible to never oppose the truth. But to stand for the truth at all times. That's your responsibility. In fact, I would argue that most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, would say that there are some things in your life that you take incredibly seriously and you're wondering why it's not as much of a big deal to everyone else. There are these things, they seem to bother you almost, and you want to do something about it. And you can't seem to figure out why, why everyone else isn't as passionate as you are about that. How many you know? Something just moves you. It could be that before the foundations of the world, God designed you and decided to put you in this moment, in this place, at this time for a divine reason. God put something on your heart, not on someone else's heart. He put it on your heart because there was a reason God wanted you to stand for truth in this generation today to make a difference today. What do you stand for? What's the truth in your life? What do you value? When we look at the Bible, we have people in the Bible, we can look at their lives, we can see what they valued. Talk about people in the Old Testament, Samuel. I would argue that Samuel valued integrity. At the end of his life, he stands up before the entire nation of Israel and says, is there anything I've done that's hurt you or disappointed you? If there is, let me know because I want to make it right. Why? Because my word is my word, my actions. I want them to reflect that. What's important to me is my integrity. King David, he valued many things. One of the things that King David valued was intimacy with God. What did he say? This one thing I seek, one thing I desire, that I would dwell in the presence of the Lord, in the temple of the Lord, in his holy presence forever. He valued intimacy with God. Solomon We know what Solomon valued. Solomon, one thing you can have, what would you like? Wisdom. He valued wisdom above all else. Modern day people, let's look at some folks that have impacted our world today. Billy Graham. What does Billy Graham value? I would argue that Billy Graham values evangelism. He preaches the simple message of the gospel, doesn't complicate it, and he invites people to turn from their sin... And accept Christ. He values evangelism. Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, she values compassion, mercy. She sees someone in need, you just respond. Bob Barker. It's a value. Getting your pet spayed or neutered. That's be values. Never seen. Every time I see him, that's what he says. And just remember, get your pets. What do you values? What do God place inside of you? Hmm? What, what do you value above all else? What is it? A couple questions for you that maybe will help you define those values. Just a couple questions. Number one, what do you deeply love? What is it that you love so deeply that when you see it, your heart is just overwhelmed with joy? I'll tell you. I'll tell you about me. I love to see people realize their full potential and to watch them walk in their God-given purpose. And then beyond that, to be a part of the process of watching them grow and become more. And Jesus, I. Love that. I love that so deeply. It's one of, the, one of the most frustrating things in life for all of us. When you watch someone intentionally almost live below or beneath their potential. Isn't that frustrating? We've all experienced that. We have loved ones in our lives. That we, we, we watch them. They continue to make poor decisions. And we think to ourselves, certainly they've hit bottom now. And somehow, some way, they find a way to go lower. Why? Because if they don't choose that it's the bottom, it ain't the bottom. We look at people's lives and we go, why do you choose to live beneath who you fully are? What's in you? Their life has no purpose, no meaning, no significance. They just succumb to this idea of just getting by. Do you realize how many people need to be told that they matter that they're important. It's amazing to me how how many times I've been sitting across the table from someone and they say, you're the first person that's ever believed in me. You're You're the first person that's seen more in me, that's come alongside me and spoken life into me. You realize how many people are just floundering, wandering aimlessly, trying to find themselves? And what they need are people in their life that are willing to walk alongside them. They simply need to be reminded they're important. They matter. They belong. You know, we talk about that here at Connect in terms of our culture. Every person, first and foremost, you belong here. You know, those little cards, they seem so insignificant. This week, I challenge you. Ask God who in your life needs to be reminded that they're important, that they matter, and that they belong. Or the most simple, just a simple step of saying, Hey, you're on my radar. I want to encourage you. Here's what I love to do I love to be the voice in their life that tells them there's more in you. You have more to give. You have more to offer. Your work's not done yet. You have potential inside of you. I love to be that voice. You can make a difference. You matter. And then watch them grow and develop. Boy, that's so fulfilling. What do you love? Some of you are thinking, well, sure, after they belong and after they commit their lives to Christ, are they getting in a Bible study? Why? Because you love discipleship. Are we going deeper? Are we going to the next step? Some of you say, man, when I see someone in need, I just come, I actually get excited when I see someone in need. Why? Because you're compassionate. You love compassion and mercy ministries. Other of you say, I just love giving. I look for reasons to give. I just want to be generous. What, do you, what is it for you? What do you love deeply? That can be a reflection of the values that God has placed in your heart. Second question that will help you define your values is this. What makes you righteously angry? What do you love deeply? And what makes, I didn't say unrighteously angry. I'm not talking about the people that don't know how to use their blinker. I'm not talking about that those people will answer for God for that that will make me unrighteously angry i'm not talking about the people that come to a four-way stop and just look at each other hmm. no i'm not talking about pet peeves i'm talking about the things that when you see it your heart breaks on behalf of the heart of god some some of you when you see poverty you get angry And you think to yourself, you get infuriated by the idea, the thought of the amount of money that Americans spent last week on Christmas and you think that could have provided clean water for the entire world. That's not right. You get angry about that. You may be the one that sees the life of an unborn child taken and something in you, you can't even stand that. Maybe, Maybe it's when you see any type of abuse to children On the news, you have to turn the channel. Your stomach, you get nauseous. Any injustice of any kind just angers you. What is it for you that you love deeply and that makes you righteously angry? That doesn't always have to be a bad thing uh, all the time. You could just see a typo in the bulletin and think, oh, Jesus. (laughs) Jesus. Why? (laughs) Because you value excellence, right? Now, I'll tell you, a lot of people think they value excellence. I mean, let me just give you a hint. If you've ever had the thought, eh, good enough, you don't value excellence. Or if you've ever thought, eh, close enough, you don't value excellence. Now, there's also a balance there. Some people cloak their critical spirit under the auspice of being committed to excellence. There's a balance. It's like there is with anything. What is it? What is it for you that you love deeply, that makes you righteous? And, and just let the Spirit of God speak to you and reveal and uncover the values that are already in you. Here's, here's some homework for you this week. I'd like for you this week to write four to seven values no less than four, no more than seven. Four to seven values. And just write them down. Generosity, kingdom-mindedness, mercy, compassion. What, what are they for you? What do you value? And as you define your values, the there will be determined by those values. Let me, let me give an example. You may value time with your kids more than anything else in the world, which may then mean that you're only going to be a one-income household, that you're going to have a smaller home with one car because you value so importantly time with your kids that you're not going to give your time to something else. Or you may say, I want, this year I want to give 20% of my income away. As a family, we want to do that. So you may say, we need two incomes in order to be able to accomplish. Why? Because the values drive the there. What you value You work with the end in mind. So if if this is the end, what you choose here leads to that. What is it that God's put in you that you have 47 values this week? Write them down. Here's the big deal. Here's the real challenge. I'm going to ask you to not just state them and claim them, but I'm going to challenge you in the name of Jesus Christ to live by them. There's a big difference between claimed values and practiced values. Ashley and I are fairly neat, clean, tidy people. We like our home to be in order. Uh, We like for things to be clean. Uh, Some people may say we're OCD, Uh, whether that's the case or not we have a certain way that we like our house to be. Uh, We have friends that also claim to be neat freaks. We have seen their homes too. Um, Their version of clean was different than our version of clean. Um, In fact, in some cases, it wasn't clean at all. Why? Because there's a big difference between a claimed value, and a practiced value. There's a big difference between what you claim is important to you and what you live, which tells everyone whether or not that was really important to you. Case in point, you remember Peter in the New Testament? Before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, before the day of Pentecost, before the birth of the the church, Peter claims the value of loyalty to Christ— he says, listen, everyone's going to run. I'm your man. I'm the guy you can count on. He claims he's the loyal one. And what does he do? He denies him. Not just once. Three times. Why? Because he claimed the value of loyalty, but the life that he lived. Uh, this principle is illustrated well in a verse here in Ezekiel. Ezekiel verse, uh, chapter 33 verse 31 says this. My people, they listen to your words but they do not put them into practice. They say it's important to them, but they don't live it. Uh, In my life, uh, early on in my ministry days, I claimed that family was important to me. Uh, Unfortunately, I didn't live that. In fact, if I were honest, I would say that the church got the best of Devon, and my family didn't. And because of that, Ashley and I experienced our worst year ever in married life. Why? Because I claimed that something was important to me, but I didn't live that. And it took months of counseling and recalibrating before we could get it back on track. Because what you claim and what you live, there's a big difference. Some of you... Some of you have claimed that you want to be financially free and financially stable and debt free, but you mismanage your funds and you overspend. You claim one thing, you're living up. Some of you claim that you want to be physically fit, but your eating habits and your exercise habits say otherwise. Some of you claim that you want a God-honoring marriage, a God-honoring home, and yet it's always the other person's fault? You don't accept any responsibility? Here's the thought. Here's the thought. The distance between the truth you know and the truth you live equals the pain that you will experience. I want you to get that. The distance between the truth that you know And the truth that you actually live equals the pain that you will experience. Let me tell you, that year was the most painful year of my life. Why? Because the distance between what I claimed and what I lived was so wide. That equaled the pain of my experience. Some of you claim to be one thing, claim to be committed to one thing. You're living something else, and it is absolutely wrecking your life. Allow God to uncover the values so you can define them, determine how to live based on those values. Okay, second thing, define your values. You ask yourself those two questions, what do I deeply love? Righteously anger, okay? Set the second assignment, discover your mission. Discover your mission. In one sentence, I believe that it would honor God for you to be able to say, this is what my life is about. I like the way uh, this conversation goes. In Genesis, Abraham's servant is out looking for uh, a wife for Isaac, and he goes and meets with Laban. Genesis chapter 24, verse 33, Abraham's servant said this, I don't want to eat until I have told you why I have come. All right, Laban said, tell us your mission. Why are you here? What, what's your mission? If I sat down across the table from you and I asked you, why did God make you? Why here? Why, why now? What's your mission? What would you say? Tell me your mission. One sentence. What are you about? What is the there for you? What does that look like? I like the way that Paul encapsulated his mission. Crystal clear. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Paul says this, I consider my life worth nothing to me, If only I may complete the task. Complete the task of what? Here's the mission. Of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Crystal clear mission. My life is not my own. It's worth nothing to me. Another translation says it's rubbish. If only I may. What would you say? I consider my life to be nothing. If only I may. Luke chapter 19. Jesus states his mission. Verse 10. Jesus says this. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. I came that you could have life in all of its fullness, all of its abundance. I'm here to reveal the love of the Father to you. I came to seek and save that which was lost. That's my mission. That's why I'm here. It's what allows me to write down and circle a 10 for a week. Because that's there. The Kazon. Where I'm going, what what drives me? What what drives you? What's your mission? My mission, my mission, is very clear. My mission is to lead people to become truly devoted followers, disciples of Jesus Christ, and then to help them realize their full purpose and potential in Him. There it is. That's my mission. So why I wake up in the morning. So why are you taking breath today? My mission is that my marriage will be better reflecting the love of Christ and his word this year than it was last year. That's success. My, my mission is that our four kids would, would love Jesus and would serve him. Not because they're the pastor's kids, but because they love him, because they have a relationship with him. That's success. My mission is that this church that I I lead would be spiritually vibrant and, and alive, that we would truly be making disciples conform to the image of Christ. That's success. That's the kazon. That's the vision. That's the there. That's what determines success or failure. What is that for you? I sit with people all the time, and I'm blown away by the lack of vision for their lives. You know what I've found to be the difference maker for so many people? Someone that loves them enough, that speaks life and encouragement, and literally draws out of them vision for their life. I've had meetings where when I started and we started interacting and spending time together, they had no vision, no idea what their life needed to look like, no drive. And by the time we got done meeting, they went away going, I can do something. Sometimes the the greatest difference maker is another voice, another person that has enough spiritual discernment to see the potential in people, to tell them they matter, to tell them they're important, that they can make a difference, that they belong. I've had the opportunity over and over and over again to sit with people and watch their life and their spirit come to life and then to be able to sit back and watch them grow and develop and become so much more than even I could have imagined. Why? Because when you have the power of God in you, you can do more than you could think or imagine. I met a young lady once. I was This is my traveling days. I was traveling in full-time music ministry, and I was at a different church every week, never knowing what I was walking into. It could be total craziness, or it could just be total dead. Every week was different, and this weekend that I was at a church, the young lady that was in charge of the, the worship and the music, she did a wonderful job, and uh, just during our time together, I could sense that she was very discouraged. And so I went to her afterwards, and I just said, "Hey, I just want to tell you, there's more in you. I don't know if you see it, but there is so much more in you. Don't settle. Don't settle." God's got more in you. He has more for you out This is not the end-all, be-all. There is more for you out there. And then I got on the plane Sunday night, and I went to the next place next weekend. And about, probably about five, six years later, I got a call from her. And she was one of the worship leaders at one of the largest churches in America today. And she called me and just said, uh, Ashley and I have had dinner with her several times, but she just said, You have no idea what that two-minute conversation, it changed my life. You can be that for someone else. Don't get so consumed with your life that you don't see that in other people too. You can do that. You can literally change the course of someone's life just by simply watching and listening to the Spirit of God. And I said to myself, that's a 10. I can do that every day. The fact that we get to partner with an incredible organization called ARC and plant churches all over the United States now the world, that's a 10. The church, it's the hope of the world, baby. I can measure success because I can see the there. What's the there for you? I don't know. Let me just, uh, let me just allow you to just pose one question for you. If money, if money was no object, what would you do with the rest of your life? If money wasn't an object, what would you do? Now, before you answer hastily, because this question prompts so much, it reveals a lot, be honest. Be honest. If money was no object, boy, if money was no object, I would travel. Ooh, we would live it up. If money was no object, I'd buy another house. You really think that's what life is all about? Let me tell you. That's what this year could look like for you. Because many, many of us, that's what last year looked like. Chasing the next promotion, chasing the next toy the next trip, everyone will end up somewhere. Few of us who seek God and listen will end up somewhere on purpose. We have this incredible opportunity. Really, I consider it a privilege. I've been doing this for several years now. We have an incredible opportunity starting next week to go on a 21-day journey towards seeking the heart of God and to hear his heart for you. And to let him give you the kazon Of your life. This vision that would direct your life. This could be the year. Think of it. And you can make a decision. To end up somewhere. On purpose. Let me read this prayer for you. Final thought for the day. It's a prayer that Francis Drake prayed in 1577. Listen, listen to what he prayed, and I, I pray this over my life, I pray this over your life today. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves. When, when our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little. And when we have arrived safely because we sailed too closely to the shore. Thanks again for joining us. If you want to join us on Sunday, we meet at 10.30 a.m. right next to Wilson Central High School. Or check us out online at connectchurchtn.com. Thanks so much and have a blessed day.